You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. You can go over to Matthew chapter 11. Uh, I'm going to pick up on some of what we talked about last week. Um, Started talking about this idea of the new normal, and everybody groaned admirably when when I said that. Because for most of us as Christians, uh, we have an issue with, and and I definitely have an issue, with the idea that we're being told that a disease something that Jesus died to eradicate, uh, is going to determine my future and set the parameters of my future. I have a problem with that. We talked about this phrase and the way it's used. Um, and I, I put this up here again. I don't want to take a lot of time on it. I want to get to another aspect of this this morning. But, but just for some review, uh, what that phrase means is a previously unfamiliar, unknown, unexpected, or atypical situation becomes standard, usual, accepted, even expected. Okay, that's what this term, the new normal, means. It's been used in a lot of different ways. It means that there's some type of dramatic and permanent change that changes every aspect of your life. Changes your outlook on things, changes the way that you do things, the way that you think, the way that you plan, all of that. That's what this this term uh, means. It's, it's become this buzz phrase that's used a lot in politics. It's used right now about the pandemic. It's, you know, again, it's, uh, and, and the thing with it is, what we said is, the Christian life is a life of continual change. And as God brings change to our thought life, to our hearts, to our outward life, as he produces change in us, our life does change. Our viewpoints change. The way we plan changes. Our priorities, our values, it all changes. And that's a progressive thing. So we are supposed to be experiencing transformation and that kind of change in our lives continually as Christians. So, so if you take it out of the worldly setting and stop being quite so annoyed about it, the idea of a new normal is a biblical idea. But we have to be really careful about who's directing that new normal. We have to be careful that we are listening to the Spirit of God and allowing Him to move us forward and to change us and and change our lives. We just have to be really careful about what we accept, okay? And and I gave you a couple of examples. The, The thing is that when the world uses this term, a lot of the time, they're wrong in the first place. They're just people. I'm not, I'm not bashing anybody. They're just people. We've had, you know, I told you back in 2008, 2009, when we had the big economic crash, you know, the president came out after that and said, this is the new normal. Expect it. Don't expect the economy to ever be like it was. Well, less than 10 years later, the economy was better than it had ever been. He was wrong. And whether, you know, you can decide what kind of agenda was in that, But the point is, we were told that, but it wasn't true. And so if we start to accept those things and live our lives based on worldly wisdom instead of godly wisdom, at that time, it didn't sit with a lot of our hearts that that was true. Well, that was the Spirit of God saying, this isn't true. This is temporary. Okay, what we're doing right now is temporary. And there's nothing wrong with doing it for a while. There's nothing wrong with seeking to keep people healthy when there's a bad disease going around. There's nothing wrong with that. But we can't be grasping the idea that this thing's going to dictate our future. It's going to dictate all of our future. It's going to dictate the economy, what the country can do, what the world can do. That's a disease that Jesus carried to the cross along with every other one. It can die and leave, all right? That's what it can do, all right? So so we've just got to, and here's the bottom line with this. We should never, this is take it outside of just this pandemic and all that. We should never welcome things that God doesn't welcome. We should never be welcoming ideas and attitudes into our hearts that are not welcome in heaven, right? I mean, we are, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. We have been, we, we, talk, we used the scripture last week over in Colossians, that Jesus has translated us, transferred us out of one kingdom and into another. He took us out of the kingdom of darkness. 
brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. Within that kingdom, there is a specific culture. We live in a new culture. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. You know, it was great because we hadn't talked about any of this. You weren't here last week, were you, Jamie? Or were you? I can't remember. Um, but anyway, she started out this morning with that story about the, the rainbow bird man. You know, about her son seeing this angel in the corner of his room. And, and she said, this is exactly what I'm trying to get to. This should be normal. Having the heavens open from time to time and seeing into the spirit realm. Whether you, you know, people are different. I, I, have, I, don't, see, I don't see angels the way she sees angels. She sees angels all the time. It's kind of disgusting. Uh, but, you know, but, but at the same time, I know their presence. I know in my heart from the word of God who they are and what they do and what they're doing around us, the way they celebrate with us and worship, the way they go ahead of us. Uh, and, and we know that as we speak the word of God, the Bible tells us that they respond to his word. And, and so, I mean, it's just one example, but that should be, that's normal. That's our culture. It's part of the culture of heaven. The, what we call supernatural is natural in heaven, okay? And, and so that should be part of our culture. The, the scripture tells us in, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, and when you read it in um, the, uh, the message, I don't have it exactly, but it talks to us about don't be so easily conformed to your culture but be transformed by the renewing of your... Don't fit, I think it says don't fit into the world without even thinking about it, right? Because we all came out of the world's culture, but now we live in a different culture. There is an environment in a kingdom that's, that's released through the king's will, right? There's, there's, there are... Well, let me, I'm getting way ahead of myself. Let's, let's go over there. Did you find Matthew chapter 11 yet? Let's go over there. Matthew 11. Let me get to my Bible here. This is Matthew 11. I'm going to begin reading in verse 2. This is a story about John sending his disciples. John was in prison. John the baptized. I like this, the baptizer instead of the Baptist, because now we think Baptist is a... Uh, we think it's a denomination. But anyway, uh, the Passion Translation says it this, time, this way. While John the baptizer was in prison, he heard about what Christ was doing among the people. So he sent his disciples to ask him this question. Are you really the one prophesied would come or shall we still wait for another? Now that's really weird because John was the forerunner of Jesus. He was also Jesus' cousin which might have been part of this question. John prophesied his calling was to prophesy the coming of the Messiah, the changing of the covenants. All right, he brought a message of repentance, a strong message of repentance to prepare the way for Jesus' coming. Well, then he got arrested and hauled into prison for telling the truth and to, the, to people that didn't like it and had the power to put him in prison. And so as he's in prison, he's hearing about what's going on in Jesus' ministry. And he actually, he was concerned enough about this or, you know, I mean, we can only assume what was going on here, but it looks like he was having real doubts about, his, are you really the one? He was probably doubting it, his own, he had to be kind of doubting his own ministry and message, and all that he'd done at that point, because if Jesus wasn't the one, well, John's the one that baptized him and then said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and, and sent a bunch of his disciples after Jesus, right? So if Jesus wasn't the one, he'd really blown it at this point. Whatever was going on, he was in prison. He was in, and he's hearing all these things going on out there, and then he's in prison, and I think part of what he was dealing with was what a lot of people deal with where, you know, well, I see who Jesus is, but I'm experiencing this terrible thing. So God, are you real? God, are you, if, if God's good, why is this going on? You know, we talk about all those questions pretty often because people ask them pretty often. 
And it can be real devastating to people's faith if they don't understand that things go on on planet Earth that are not at all the will of God. They happen all the time. God's not micromanaging everything. And I don't want to get off on that subject because I teach on it the whole morning. But for whatever reason, maybe it was just that Jesus, John, like all of us, a lot of what he prophesied comes right out of the book of Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, a lot of it out of the book of Isaiah, a lot of the Old Testament prophets. John was the one that brought that out in the moment when Jesus was about to come on the scene. And so I'm sure he had a context, like everybody else, of what this Messiah was going to look like, who he was going to be, what he was going to do, what it was going to look like. And maybe knowing his cousin, Jesus, it didn't look quite like what he was expecting. I don't know all the reasons, but he went so far as to send his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one? Are you really the one? Or, or should we look for another? And Jesus responded this way. I mean, I, I don't know what all he could have said. Again, they, they knew each other personally. They knew each other uh, also in their roles, in the, the prophetic role, the messianic role. I mean, they, they knew that about each other. So, so they had quite a relationship. But Jesus just pointed to the environment that surrounded him to answer this question. He, he said, give John this report. The blind see again, the crippled walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised back to life, the poor and broken now hear of the hope of salvation. So he, there's two things there. He pointed to the manifestation of God's presence that was, that was going with him. He pointed that out. And he also, all of those things are fulfillments of the prophecies that John knew and John had spoken. The, all of these things, you can read these same words over and over in the book of Isaiah about the messianic uh, ministry. Okay, So he pointed to the word and to what was actually going on, tangible things in real time around Jesus. All right, and, and there are just several, several things in that. And oh, and then let's just finish this and then we'll get to a little more of that. My point in that is there was a culture around Jesus. There was a culture of miracles. There was a culture of hope. That when it says the poor and broken heard of salvation or heard the good news, the idea there is that those who had no power to deal with whatever their situation was, those who were completely unable heard of the power of God and their welcoming into the kingdom of God. The message that Jesus gave and the message that Jesus gave to his disciples and to the church to bring forth in the earth was the kingdom of God is near, right? And that word near, it, it doesn't just mean it's close by, it's up the valley. You can go up the valley and see it. It means it has come upon you. It has overtaken you. It is a, a real, tangible reality now. That's what Jesus was saying, and that was the message he also sent with his disciples out to the villages. The kingdom of God has come upon you. Well, again, a kingdom is a place where a monarch rules, right? I mean, that's what a kingdom is. And where a monarch rules a culture develops. We'll talk a little bit more about that uh, in a couple minutes. So, so in verse 6 then, Jesus says, and he, he includes this, I love this, tell John that the blessing of heaven comes upon those who never lose their faith in me no matter what happens. That's our culture. That's our normal. Okay, never lose faith in him no matter what happens. So John's in prison. Jesus is saying, that's a, that's a natural temporary reality in your life. Right now, the blessing of heaven comes upon those who don't lose faith in me. Okay, the blessing of heaven comes upon those. Um, the Amplified Bible and many other translations read something like this. It says, blessed is he who takes no offense at me and finds no cause for stumbling in or through me 
and is not hindered from seeing the truth. Okay, so the, you're blessed when you find no offense. That's just, it's kind of a weird thought to us. We find no offense in Jesus. But when you read through the Gospels, people were offended by Jesus all the time. They were offended because he didn't fit into the religious culture. He didn't go along with the religious system. He, uh, they were offended because he said he was the son of God. People say, oh, Jesus never claimed that. Yeah, he did over and over. He didn't say it in those words exactly, but he said, God is my father, and they took him out to stone him for it. So obviously they were hearing, he's saying he's the son of God, right? They were offended because, some of them were offended because of his humanity. Some of them were offended because, wait a minute, this is the carpenter's kid. We know his, his brothers and sisters are here with us. This is, this is just some kid, you know, and, and we know him. We saw him grow up. He used to run around the streets, you know, and, and now he's supposed to be the son of God. And that affected their faith. These days, Jesus is risen, but the same thing happens. And, and not only do people become offended, and a lot of times they become offended because what Jesus taught and who Jesus is doesn't line up with their culture. They want to have a culture that embraces various forms of what Jesus calls sin. And he calls it that because it destroys lives and he wants people out of it. He wants people free. And so, boy, you're not supposed to say that these days. And you're, you know, and you're, you're not supposed to identify anything as being sinful or evil or any of that. And the whole point of that is to bring people out of it so that they can have a better life. Not only have eternal life, but have eternal life working in and through them now, here and now. So there are lots of reasons, actually, to be offended with Jesus. And Jesus said, if people uh, listen to my teaching, they'll listen to yours. Said this to his disciples, goes for us. If they rejected my teaching, they'll reject yours. So the point is, people are not only going to be offended with him, they're going to be offended with you because you follow him. It's a clash of cultures. It's a clash of kingdoms. But we, especially thinking about normal, what's my new normal? Well, my new, 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 new normal needs to be within the culture of heaven. And there are lots of characteristics to the culture of heaven. All right? So I'm going to jump ahead here so we can get to some of these things. Um, I know that's the same verse I just read to you. That, this idea... That where Jesus was, what Jesus pointed out to John, was the culture and the environment that was going on around him. And he pointed that out as a, as a confirmation of him being the Christ, him being the Messiah, answering John's question. All right, And what was happening around him was people were getting free. They were getting free from blindness, both naturally and spiritually. Their deaf ears were being opened, both naturally and spiritually. They were being healed in their bodies, healed in their spirits, healed uh, in their emotions. They were, the, again, the, the poor and broken were hearing the good news, which is you don't have to be poor and broken anymore, right? You can come into this new culture. And I just want to add this one verse to it. We read this a lot. I think it's such a powerful verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 tells us, because this is really important. Listen to this. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is emancipation from bondage, and there is freedom. All right? So that scripture says, the Lord, and, and that word Lord is, word is the Greek word kurios. It speaks of the, uh, not only the divinity, but the rule of Jesus. He's king. It speaks of his authority. It speaks of his rule, his lordship. Okay, everybody getting it? Lordship. Okay, Americans don't like the idea of lordship. So a lot of times we want a savior, but we don't want a lord, right? Well, this is saying the Lord and the spirit, Jesus in his role as authority over us and the Holy Spirit are one and the same. They're, they're two beings, but they're one and the same. Their work is the same. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, 
wherever we could say it this way, the Spirit of God is working and He is influencing and His influence is being received. Wherever, as we interact with the Holy Spirit, we are letting Jesus be Lord. Wherever we are embracing His kingdom, wherever we are embracing His authority and letting Him rule in our lives, in those places, the result, the culture that grows is freedom, increasing progressive freedom, increasing progressive uh, emancipation from anything that would keep you away from fulfilling God's purpose for your life. All right, And we're all different. We all have different things that the Lord's working on. But this is important because we want to live in the culture of heaven. Then we need to live under the kingdom of heaven, which means we need to put ourselves under his lordship. Anything he tells you to do or not do is for your good. Always. Always. So, and, and for Americans, we, we just have a lot of rebellion in our hearts. We just do. We, gr- we grew up that way. We're resistant to authority. We're resistant to anybody telling us anything. And that's increasing, not decreasing in our culture. We are becoming a, a more self-absorbed culture. We are becoming a more uh, rebellious culture. And I hate to say, I hate to be speaking this, but it's not what I pray. But I'm saying this is the way it's been through my lifetime. This is increasing. So there's a real issue in all of our hearts of learning how to bend the knee to Jesus. Knowing the love of God, knowing that everything he ever asks us to do, it's for our good. All right? So, so whatever it is, Whatever might be binding you in life, the Spirit of God is going to be working to eliminate that. That's our new normal. And so what does that mean? That means that should be our expectation. If there's some, I, I, I cannot let people speak a new bondage into my life. I can deal with the reality, and again, I'm just using this example, that there's a virus going around, okay? And I can deal with that, and I can look at that, and I, and I can do what's necessary for that, and I can even, I can comply with things that, I, I don't know if they're a good idea or not, but it's no skin off my nose, you know? And, and so, I guess it could be if this thing had sandpaper in it, it could take skin right off, but it doesn't. It's so soft and wonderful. Uh, but, but, you know, it's, it's fine, okay? It's fine. However, that's as far as it goes. It is not my reality. My role and your role is to be releasing healing to people who are sick and releasing hope and confidence and faith to people who don't have it. Okay, we are here to combat that culture, not fighting with people. Remember that verse? People are not our problem. We're dealing with a spiritual realm that's behind that. Flesh and blood is not our problem. So easy to forget some days. But we're not fighting with people. But we're fighting with that spiritual atmosphere. Absolutely. If we don't do it, who's going to? If the church doesn't stand up and fight the fear and the hopelessness and the control and all of that stuff, who's going to do that? You know, who's going to do that? And that is a spiritual battle first that then many times produces things like different legislation or different, it, well, it produces a different culture. And when a culture changes, then some things follow. People have different expectations, different values. Let's look at this. Is this making any sense? Okay, I feel like I'm bouncing around a lot here. Um, so culture, what, what's culture? And we're talking about culture of heaven, but this is what culture is. It is a set of shared values, okay? Priorities, customs, things we do, right? Attitudes, goals, and practices that characterizes a people, a family, a nation, an organization, whatever. This is what a culture is. And it starts out, I love this definition, starts out with, we have shared values. There, we, want to, we want to know the heart of God more and more and more, so we value what he values in the way he values it. All right, We want to have the same values, and we get that through interacting with God and his word on a personal level. We get to know his heart, and he imparts those things to us. Those values then create priorities. 
our values, every one of us, create our priorities. We prioritize one thing over another all the time. You know, if, if you value worship, then you prioritize worship. If you value prayer, you prioritize prayer. If you value church, you prioritize church. Not getting on anybody, I'm just saying. As a priority in our life, if you value your, if you value your job more than your children, that will come through in the way that you raise your children, the way you direct your home. And, and so, again, Jesus pointed John to what was going on. There was evidence there that people's healing was being valued. People uh, coming out of brokenness, that was being valued. That was being prioritized. We have, as in our normal we have different customs. Other people don't get together and sing and lift their hands, you know, but we do because God values it. God values heartfelt worship tremendously, says it in his word. We value the word of God. So we take to you come and sit here and listen to me or whoever teach the word on a weekly basis. People don't do that. This is way too long. This is way too long for a lot of churches. They get 15 minutes and that's it. And boy, you better not go one step over it because I've got stuff to do. Well, there are your values, there are your priorities, your customs and your, your uh, goals, your practices. All of that grows out of it. This is what a culture is. The kingdom of heaven has a culture. It's characterized by a set of values that produce activities. They produce priorities. And, and so here's the deal. Where Jesus is Lord, remember the verse we just read, where Jesus is Lord, things will progressively be changed to look more and more like heaven and like the promises of God. That begins in our own thought life. That transformation begins in our own thought life. We begin to value God's opinion. Therefore, we begin to prioritize knowing God and our Customs, our activities, our goals, our goals in life, our what, what we do, when we do it, how we use our time, how we spend our money, all of that stuff shifts because we're being changed on the inside. Our thoughts, our beliefs, our worldview are being changed by the Spirit of God. That's, the, that's our normal. That's the Christian life. It's not based on the news. It's not based on what your friends think. It's not based on any of that. It's based on the Lord who is Lord of your life. Does this make sense to you? So all of those things, as hearts are changed, priorities are changed, values are changed, beliefs are changed, and, what's, and then as those things are changed in us, a new culture comes up. There's a different culture in the church. I've been, you know, I've been doing this church thing for ever since Karen first dragged me there in 1981. And you know, it has totally changed our life. But, you know, church culture, uh, uh, particularly the, the kinds of church we're in, the value, the moving of the Holy Spirit and all that kind of thing, that, that culture within the church, I love it. I, I love to get together with you and worship God. I love what God does in the corporate setting. I love, I love my personal time with God, but I love getting together with believers. I, I'm so inspired so many times by people just, just coming and when you guys enter into worship and you begin to, you know, lift your hands and declare the goodness of God. I mean, I'm not turning around looking at you, but I can feel it. I can feel the love that you have for the Lord and what the Spirit of God begins to do. I love all that. But, I don't very much. This is just me. Uh, you know, I know some of you are different. That's, that's fine. This is, I'm the weird one. I don't especially like watching it on TV. And when a lot of people watch us on TV, we look weird because they're not used to it. It's a different culture. There's a whole room full of people and, you know, they've got their hands lifted and their eyes closed and, and they think these people are nuts. Well, we're not nuts. This is our culture. This is our custom, and it grows out of our values. It grows out of what God is doing on the inside of us. You know, we have a different culture, and we should be living in a different culture. This is our normal, not just here, but you know what I'm saying. We are Christians. 
We walk with Christ. Okay, so we, we look at things differently. We forgive people that wronged us, really wronged us. And there's no, there's no excuse for it. There's, there isn't even necessarily any repentance of it. They wronged us. We forgive them. We work toward forgiveness because it's part of our culture. It's part of who we are. We love people that are totally unlovable. We love people, you know, and, and, and it's something that comes up from the inside. It's God's love shed abroad in our hearts and working through us. You know, we, there are just so many things that we do. We believe in prayer. You know, these days people always make fun of people that when some tragedy happens and they'll say, man, you know, my prayers go out to you. And, oh, you'll get jumped on if you're on social media. I'm really minimizing that these days. I'm over it. But you get jumped on. Oh, you know, your prayers, you know, because they're looking for, they're looking for something they can touch. They don't know God. So they don't believe in any of that. And so they're looking for a tangible solution through legislation or whatever. Well, we do believe in that. We not only believe in that, we've experienced the power of God in prayer. So it's our culture. That's our normal. And we need to be okay with that. We need to not be letting the world dictate to us what our normal is. Okay? So because he has moved us from one place to another. I was thinking about this the other day. You know, when I was younger, some of you weren't born yet. um, When the wall was up in East Germany, you know, uh, East and West Germany in Berlin, when the wall was up and other places in the world, lots of places in the world, people risked their lives to get across that wall. People risked, they're, they're still doing it. In, in places, you know, where there is some totalitarian deal or a huge famine or all kinds of different things. They risk their lives. Why? Why do they do that? To move from under one authority structure to under a different authority structure that gives them freedom and gives them hope and opportunity. They, they work so hard, they risk everything and sometimes they don't get out but they'd get their kids out you know and and I mean I remember after when uh, Saigon fell and the people you know putting their kids on boats and sending them out across the ocean to get them out of there as communism came in you know and that's why for some of us that went through a lot of that and then we hear people here wanting communism in this country it's like you have no idea. I don't know why. I guess it's the schools. You have no idea what you're talking about here. People risked everything to move from one authority structure to another. We have been moved from under one authority structure that's all death and destruction to under a new authority structure that has life and peace and hope and strength and purpose and all of these things. That's our new normal. So we got to be really careful about not letting the world impose what, you know, what they see as the new normal. Okay, but it's not mine. It's not where I'm going. It's, it's not where I am destined to go. And again, I see what's going on. I'm not pretending it's not going on, but it's temporary. It's temporary. You know, even the, they keep talking about the 1917, 1918 flu pandemic that went around, killed millions of people. I mean, it was a big deal, but it was temporary. It was still temporary. And I'm sure a lot of that, I don't know what was going on. I know there were some big revivals starting in the, in the world at that time. And I, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of that was through the prayers of the church. They don't get credit for it. Who cares? But a lot of that getting turned around was through the church believing God. So, and I'm sure uh, there are people out there who have all the data on that, but I don't, okay? So I just want to talk to you about these three things real quickly. You still okay? You still with me? Um, There are loads. I've got a whole list, and I don't know if we're going to come back and go through it. I honestly don't know right now, but I felt like God put these three on my heart for today. You can think about, what is the culture of heaven? What is my culture? What is my normal? And you'll just, start to, you'll just start to list things that are part of God's culture. 
And, and it's good to think about those things. Think about what the word says about. But I just, I just felt like these three were important for today. So we're just going to look at these. Not like they're the most important characteristics. But again, a culture, is a, it's a set of shared values. It is a set of characteristics. Every culture, your home has a culture. Your business has a culture. This church has a culture. The community has a culture. And it grows out of people's values. And it grows out of their priorities and, and all that type of thing. So the first one is lordship. And we've talked a bit about that this morning. Lordship, which means authority and submission. Understanding authority and submission. Understanding that authority is meant from God. It's not always used this way on this earth, but it's meant to come and serve people and lift them up. Authority is important. Uh, chaos and anarchy are not a good way to go while there's sin still ruling in a lot of people's hearts. They're not good, okay? As, as much as people think they're good, those are not good things. Authority structures are really important, and that's why we are told to submit to them. But we need to keep God first in all of that and understand that his intention with authority and any authority that's given to us is given to serve people, not to dominate people. Okay, so again, we, we talked about this. The kingdom, this is deep, so I'll try and hang on. The kingdom is a kingdom. The kingdom, it's a kingdom. It's a place where someone rules. And there's a culture that goes along with that. We already looked at that. The, the monarch establishes values and priorities and practices, economy, environment, all of that. God's kingdom is not a democracy. It's not, we're, we are invited to participate with him in spreading his kingdom in this earth. That's amazing to me. We're invited to truly, as his sons and daughters rise up and carry forth a part of the spread, the, the spread of his government, in the earth. Again, his government is to lift people up, not to dominate and control. It's to lift people up. But it's not a democracy. We don't get to, we don't get to vote on the rules. We don't get to vote on the structure. We don't get to vote, well, I don't, I don't, really, I don't really like praising God, so I vote we stop doing that. We don't get to do that. You know, we don't get to pick and choose. It's a kingdom. All right, so, so we're expected to Accept that. And if we want our lives to look like heaven, then we need to start submitting to God's ways. We need to really pursue his word, his ways, his thoughts, who he is. He loves to impart all of that stuff to us. We need to invite his, the influence of heaven if we want to uh, have, our, have our place. And, and a lot of us, we want our culture. This is a good want. We want our culture to be godly. We want our culture, the world's culture around us, to be godly. We want to have that influence, and we are supposed to be having that influence. But we've got to remember where our fight is. We've got to first put our lives under that influence, and then we've got to begin to fight those spiritual battles. Again, things like uh, legislation and, and having the values of the culture change, that is a great goal. But it doesn't start from out there. It starts from in here. It starts in your life. It starts in your home. It starts in your business. It starts in the way that you live your life. And, and then bringing the dynamics of the culture of heaven into the earth. That's how cultures change. And cultures do change. Jesus told us to disciple nations, not just individuals, but nations. We are supposed to be having an influence and changing nations. It's just we seem to go about it the wrong way. We seem to try and do it in a natural way instead of a spiritual way. Anyway, so faith is a, it's a, and it just means genuine trust in God and confidence in his faithfulness. Okay, and it comes through an encounter with Jesus Christ in his word. I just want to give you this today. I've only got a few minutes left just want to talk to you a little bit about faith. You know, we, we know that faith is the substance of things we hope for and the evidence of things not seen. It, it's, it's that confidence that something that we can't see can become a reality in this earth. It reaches out into grace and, and pulls what grace has provided. It says it's impossible to please God without. I mean, we know a lot of things about faith, but this is the aspect that kind of stuck in my heart is that 
Jesus taught us that we should believe him because of the word that he spoke. And the Bible tells us over in Romans that faith actually comes by hearing God speak to us. That's, that's where faith that's unshakable develops in our heart is through intimate interaction with God. But he said, trust him, believe in him because of the word that he spoke. But if you're not engaged yet at that level to at least believe because of the miracles, believe because of his activities, believe because of the things that you see him doing. And if you're out, especially if you're out there this morning or in here this morning and you don't have a relationship with God like that and, and you're not sure about God at all, okay, a lot of us started there, I just encourage you to just ask him. You don't have, and you say, well, that requires faith, kind of, but not much. Uh, to, to just be able to say, God, if you're out there, please show yourself to me. But then you got to go at that with an open heart. And he's going to do it. I guarantee he's going to do it. That's the way a lot of us ended up coming to him. And he will start to show himself to you in a way that you can receive it. And you will know in here that it's him. Up here, your brain will go, oh, but that could be this and that could be that. And it could have happened for this reason. Just, it's in here. You will know, uh-oh. Sometimes it's, uh-oh. That was God. You're made to know him. So I just encourage you, even if it's just on that level, start to reach out and ask him. And he will reveal himself to you because faith comes from those real encounters with him where he touches our hearts in a personal way and we can't, we're made to know him. And it's like, uh-oh, this is a person. This person just moved in my life, spoke into my life, did something. And, and I know it was this person that did it. I know it in here. That is a really unshakable thing. Let me read a couple of verses to you on this. John chapter 10, verses 37, 38, again from the Passion Translation. Jesus said this, he says, if I'm not doing the beautiful works that my father sent me to do, then don't believe me. But if you see me doing the beautiful works of God upon the earth, then, you, I love this terminology, then you should at least believe, at least, this is the least, okay? Believe the evidence of the miracles, even if you don't believe my words. Then, as you, as you believe and you just see what God's doing in your life, maybe somebody prays for you and you get healed. Well, that was God. Well, it could have been da-da-da-da-da. It was God. You, you know, at some point, you got to be willing to accept something. But he says, at least believe that, even if you don't yet believe my words. Okay? So there's a level of faith that we can begin at that sees what God is doing. You can look into nature, big or small, and you can see there's absolute evidence of a creator. You know, it really gets hard to deny that as you look into that. It takes a lot of faith to deny that there's all this organization in the universe. You can look various places and you can see evidence that God's doing something. Even if you don't believe the Bible yet, you can see that. And Jesus said, at least believe me because of that. Okay? But then there's another level that we all want to be at. And we all come to where we begin to believe him because of what he says. Because we already know he's there. We already were learning who he is. And now we want to start believing him based on what he says. And again, Romans 10, 17 tells us faith actually is... is uh, released in us as we begin to hear God speak to us and start to have that intimate, in, intimate conversation with him. One more, John 14, 11, uh, He said, believe that I live as one with my father and that the father lives as one with me, or at least believe because of the mighty miracles that I've done. So, so there, there are different levels of faith and we want to see much more of the miraculous power of God at work in us and through us and around us. We want that culture that we saw uh, with Jesus going back to John saying, the blind eyes are open, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. We want to see more and more and more of that. We're not seeing nearly enough of that. All right? But we've got to press into it. And, and when those things take place, the primary reason for miracles is to help people not to build faith. But, but they can 
Miracles can build faith, but the main reason for them is to set people free, is to help people. So for us as believers, all right, we need to learn to enter into that devotional place with God, hear what he is saying, build confidence, and then go out and release it. Does that make sense to you? It's a part, this is our culture. Faith is a part of our culture. And let me just hit this last one real quick. Let's have a few minutes. Let me just talk about peace for a minute. I'm not even going to go through all of this that I have. Faith and peace really work hand in hand. Faith and hope work hand in hand. Faith and love work hand in hand. Those are all elements of God's culture. But right now, there are a lot of people lacking peace in their hearts. You know, Because again, a lot of people don't have God to trust in the way that you do. You can be a carrier of the peace of God. Jesus said, I leave my peace to you as, a, as an inheritance. He said, I bequeath it to you. And so it's ours. When you receive an inheritance, it's yours. You can spend it the way you want to spend it. It's yours. It was given to you by somebody else who earned it. And peace is a part of that. And when Jesus, again, when he was out in that boat and his disciples, they were in the storm and the disciples were freaking out and they woke him up. He was asleep in the storm because where he was, there was peace. There wasn't a storm. In his heart, in his world, in his environment, he was at peace enough to sleep through a natural storm. But what he did was he got up and in faith, he spent time with the Father. He had faith in his heart toward the Father. In faith, he released peace. He spoke peace to the wind, to the invisible force that was behind the the visible thing, the waves. He spoke peace. He said, peace, be calm, be still, be muzzled, be silenced. That's what he spoke. He released his peace. And I think, you know, right now, rather than adding to the turmoil that's going on around us, we need to be people that know how to release peace. We need to be able to release peace through our prayers and declarations, for sure. But we also need to be able to release peace by our response. When somebody gets in your face, whether it's in writing or in, you know, or these threats come or these different things, if we just get riled up and respond in kind, all we're doing is creating more division and more garbage. I'm not saying don't do anything. I'm saying release peace. A soft answer turns away wrath. Well, that doesn't always, well, it's what the Bible says. So I'm going with what the Bible says over what you're going to tell me your experience was with your wife one day. Okay, I'm going to go with what the scripture says. All right. A soft answer turns away wrath. Doesn't mean a weak answer. It's the attitude that it's delivered with. Peace is a huge, important part of us being able to stand in faith. We, we works both ways. We can stand in peace and release our faith. We can release things. We can, we can work in our faith. Our prayers can be full of faith because we're at peace. Scripture tells us over in Colossians uh, chapter 3, verse 15 in the Amplified Bible, it talks about allowing the peace of God to work in your heart like an umpire. I have it here. I'm going to read it to you. I know we're out of time. We're always out of time. Let the peace from Christ rule, act as an umpire continually in your hearts. Listen to this, deciding and settling with finality all the questions that arise in your minds. Okay, how many of you have that happen? You're, you're standing on something, you're looking at a situation, you're praying over it, and questions arise in your minds. But it says, let the peace of God rule in your heart and settle with finality all the doubts, the questions, the stuff that might come to your mind. Your heart's bigger than your mind. So that's another aspect of the peace of God that he gave to us. We can make good decisions from it. There are a lot of times where we're trying to make a decision and I don't know, there's so many possibilities and questions and things about this or that, or should we do this? Should we do that? I don't know. I mean, I can't figure all that out, but we will spend time, Karen and I will spend time, we will pray and we will send, we'll have more of a sense of peace about going this way than we will about going that way. It has never, ever failed us. Never. In all the years since we learned it, that aspect, once we can come to that place, shut the brain off, listen to your heart, and, and have that sense of God's peace going that way. But what about, what about 
Settle with finality all the questions that arise in your mind. Follow it. It's a part of our culture to live in peace, to release peace, to spread peace, to, uh, and, and again, I'm not, you know, I'm not talking about, oh, peace. You know, I'm talking about a peace in our heart. It's confident. It's bold. Peace can be really bold, but it's peaceful. It's not agitated. It's not fearful. We're not praying out of fear, praying out of confidence. Okay, boy, there's so much more I could say about that. We'll just stop here. Why don't you stand up with me and let's pray together. See, 1102. Karen would have gone to, no. She felt so bad about going overtime that day. I was like, I go overtime every week. Father, we just, Lord, I just pray, Father, that every one of us could embrace the culture of heaven. We could know it. We could see its characteristics. We can look at you, look at Jesus, look at the word, and we can see the culture of heaven. And Lord, we want to live in that culture and we want to be ambassadors of that culture into this world. Father, I pray, Lord, for all of us that we would stop fighting with people and, and, and come away from that and begin to be effective in releasing your life to, this, to, to the world's culture. Lord, that we would be effective in living in your culture in our own homes and our own minds and all of that, Lord. But that, Father, we would be able to communicate that culture. We'd be able to spread that because, Lord, the word says that there's no end to the increase of your government. And, Father, we know that your government exists to liberate people from bondage. So, Lord, we just, I just pray that as this group of people and, and everybody out there, as they go into their communities and their jobs and their schools and their places this week, Lord, that every one of us would carry the peace of God with us, that we would walk by faith, that we would live under your lordship. Father, that our adoration and worship of you would just come through in our actions, our priorities, our values, all of that that we discussed. Lord, I, I thank you for that. I thank you for building your church in the Gunnison Valley. Lord, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. They're going to bring your kids back to you. Those of you that have some, I'm sorry, but they're going to bring your kids back to you. All right. You have to take them out with you. Okay. Uh, all right. Let's say this on the count of three. I can't, I can't stop without offending people. Oh, you're, you're counting with me, huh? One two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Good seeing everybody. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.